When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. If you're looking for a better tomorrow, start heading for it today at Toyota. We started to look ahead over 20 years ago when we built our first self-charging hybrid electric cars. Now, Toyota hybrid drivers are reducing harmful emissions and making a real difference. Thanks to them, the best-selling car in Ireland today is a Toyota hybrid. And as more drivers join us, we'll all help to shape a brighter future together. Toyota. Built for a better world. I don't want to die. I want to come back. With the answers to death and life, I need you to bring me back. I have no interest in watching you kill yourself. Nobody is going next. It's too dangerous. We can't turn back now. I'm going further. Some cocky young medical students devise a dangerous experiment with life and death itself in Flatliners. We like to think of it as this discrete event. You know, we make a time of death, but in fact, it's a process. And an individual doesn't probably die all at once. And determining where you are in the continuum of dying and becoming irreversibly dead is incredibly difficult to quantify. You're looking for answers? There's no answers here. I, 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 I think you just solved you one. 1,000 People started to call it brain death, and that became a colloquialism, brain death versus heart death. And that's really rather problematic. We shouldn't think of, there's not brain death and heart death, there's just death death. Flatliners, some lines shouldn't be crossed. Okay, I was too close. Okay. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Science-ish. I'm Rick Edwards and I'm joined, as always, by Dr. Michael Brooks. Have a guess, what's he going to say? What could it be? Hello. <laughs> Why did you say it like that? I have no idea. It's a very strange little man. So, the format of the show, just to remind you, has changed for the better. We used to do three questions relating to a work of fiction. Now we just do one one question that we answer in great detail and when i say answer (laughs) yeah we talk around we talk around the subject and i'm aware that the last couple have been quite well i mean frankly quite depressing bleak uh yeah bleak Bleak is bleak is exactly the word so children of men uh, we concluded that yes we're going in fertile and uh, i'm going to go down the clinic and check whether i am and what was the one? Oh, never, never let, let me, me go. go. I didn't think never let me go was that bleak. I thought it was quite exciting. You think it's horrifying? I think it's horrible. You're a bit precious. Oh, I don't want to have a pig's heart. 
Pathetic. Oh, excuse me for not wanting to have a pig's heart. Actually, I'll take one if you got one. That's exactly it. If you needed it, you would take it. Yeah, I would. Anyway, just to, uh, to kind of lighten the mood a bit, I thought we'd go <laughs> with uh, <laughs> with an absolute sci-fi classic. Although also recently remade, not quite so classic, Flatliners. Isn't that about people dying? Ah, yes, yes, <laughs> it, it is. So it's going to be another dark episode. Oh, excellent. So, All right. um, there is, uh, as, as you rightly point out, there's only really one direction you can go with this, and the direction is death. That's it, that's it. That's not it. Second beat, but charging again, 300. Try lighting. A 245 atrophy. Not yet, Circle. Clear. Come on, Dave, come on. Increasing beat, but 360 charge. Clear. In the film, and I should say, I haven't seen the remake, but I guess it's pretty similar. Some medical students led by, and I have to say, either... Kiefer Sutherland or Kevin Bacon because I just <laughs> it's, it's a film where I've really I mean they they don't look the same but they look sufficiently similar that I really struggle and I think in as I recall I've not seen Flatlines for quite a long time Kiefer Sutherland has an amazing sort of mane of blonde hair in this yes. to distinguish him from Kevin Bacon who has longer uh, brunette hair so that's helpful but anyway the I don't think that's a key plot point by the way well it was for me because it helped because right. I, I could work out who was who so Kiefer Sutherland plays a sort of maverick medical student who wants to investigate what happens immediately after death. Is there anything there? And so he gets his colleagues to kill him briefly. So give him cardiac arrest and then after a minute, wake him up again. And so he does that. They successfully wake him up. When he's out, he has uh, some interesting kind of visions. And then the others all try it as well. And they all have their own visions. And they're all kind of haunting images from their past. And then they're trying to sort of come to terms with it. I mean, that stuff is, I have to say, slightly less interesting. But what is interesting is this, this idea of what is death. Uh, with that one in a sound too morbid, I've always been fascinated by ex- exactly this thing. How do we define death? And that is going to be our question for this episode. How do we define death, Michael Brooks? Not too morbid, then. Mm. When we talk about death, I think that most of us would like to think that it's obvious and without any ambiguity. And unfortunately, uh, especially in the age of technology, there's a lot more difficulty sometimes in determining death. Uh, My name is Leslie Wettstein. I am a professor of philosophy at Walsh University in North Canton, Ohio. So it was probably about the 1960s that we had uh, a real boom in technological advances. And what they found was that some conditions that were irreversible could actually be reversed in some cases but not all cases. So unfortunately, you could have a patient in the ICU who was not getting any better, um, whose vital signs could be maintained, but they were not going to recover. In some of those cases, patients' brains would be so damaged um, that they would actually liquefy. 
So there had to be a point at which there was a change and an understanding that you might still have vital signs, but if someone's brain is so completely destroyed, that that would also be an acceptable indication of death. And so there's this shift um, in the late 1960s to say that we would have to have the option to determine death, not just on circulatory criteria, because that could now be maintained, but now on neurologic criteria. And that would mean that people whose brains had failed, they would then be determined dead. What do you reckon then? If my brain is liquefied, am I dead? (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking if it's oozing out of your ears. (laughs) It feels like a yes, doesn't it? (laughs) It's really interesting though, isn't it? That, you know, science and technology advances Mm. and we have to change effectively what is the definition of a living human being. Back in the day, it was just easier to to say whether the son was dead. You were looking for the, the kind of traditional signs, which are breathing, a pulse. And if they weren't there, you were dead. And there was and with a slight, what I really like is in the sort of 17th, 18th, even 19th century, there was a little get out there, which was they had uh, things called safety coffins, which is, a, <laughs> which is just a really good name. <laughs> so they had the little bell in the casket. So if you were buried, you could just, and then you woke up, you'd be like, hang on a minute, guys, I was asleep <laughs> or, or whatever. Oh. And that, yeah, that's massively changed now because obviously with ventilators and so on, we can keep people's pulse and breathing going on a machine. So then we had to try and, you know, look for alternative uh, ways of determining death. We started to look at brain activity, so neurological death versus, as Professor Leslie said, circulatory death. But neurological death itself, that definition has also changed because, you know, you can look at different parts of the brain. So the brain stem which is kind of involved with a lot of like your autonomic functions and, and reflexes and so on. Um, so you could look at that death or you could look at higher brain. And so there's lots of different criteria to assess whether someone is brain dead or has undergone whole brain death. You're going to take me down with nitrous, sodium pentothal and the refrigerator blanket. I got some Shell D5W in the cooler. When my body temperature hits 86 degrees, you're going to hit me with 200 joules. Electric current will stop my heart. When the heart is dead, take the mask off. I'm going to draw 20 cc's. You handle the injections. On the EEG flatlines, brain is dead. I'll be exploring. Give me 30 seconds. Put the blanket onto warm. Take me up to 93 degrees. Slowly. Inject one cc of adrenaline. And at one minute, Joe, you come in with the defibs. And you bring me back to life. Interestingly, going back to circulatory death, we actually, as a as a kind of surgical method, induce that. So we do a thing called deep hypothermic cardiac arrest. So you cool someone right down to like 20 degrees or less, uh, which stops their blood flow to the brain. And so in, when you're trying to do surgery involving fine work on the brain or capillaries in the brain or whatever, you don't want blood to be flowing through it. So we induce this state and then heat you back up again. In the film, I think they don't cool him down that much, but they put this sort of like blanket on them and then cool them down and then heat them back up again. Would they officially be dead? I mean, if the heart's not... Well, no, because that would no be... circulation. Yeah, it's circulatory sort of like you, death. You take everything away. The, there's no brain death there. Okay. 
Although I suppose the brain's temporarily stopped working. Yeah, if there's no blood flowing around it, surely... Hmm. Hmm. I don't fancy that. No? No. But, but you would if you needed the surgery. Your, your thing is always, in abstract, I don't fancy <laughs> it. And then if you need it, you'll Give it. Give it to me. Yeah. But even with these guidelines, not everyone is convinced that having a distinction between brain death and circulatory death is helpful. The language, I think, of saying neurologic, people started to call it brain death. And that became a colloquialism, brain death versus heart death. And that's really rather problematic. We shouldn't think of there's not brain death and heart death. There's just death death. And, but there's two ways that you can certify it. So circulatory or neurologic. In point, the concept or the definition of death should be this unified phenomenon, but with just two ways uh, to certify it. If people believe that there's a difference between the two, then you run the risk of saying, well, are they brain dead? Are they really dead? When are they actually dead? Um, and that becomes really problematic to have those categories where you sort of bifurcate um, rather than understanding that they're just two different criteria rather than types of death. Quite simply, why are you doing this? Quite simply to see if there's anything out there beyond death. Philosophy failed. Religion failed. Now it's up to the physical science. Well, the definition of death itself, the traditional definition, is the irreversible loss of the integrated functioning of the organism as a whole. And there's a lot going on in that definition. So you have to describe what is irreversible loss. You have to describe what constitutes integrated functioning as opposed to functioning that might just be superfluous or irrelevant. And then there's a differentiation between organism as a whole versus death of the whole organism, which of course we don't require. Less transplantation would not be possible. So that would be the working definition of death itself and then the criteria for total brain failure or brain death or neurologic. That's the irreversible loss of the entire brain, including the brainstem. So in the United States, they use whole brain death, um, not just brainstem death as the criteria to determine that neurologic death has occurred. And, and so they have a number of tests, scientific tests that they do to ensure that it's occurred. The question of irreversibility, of course, is very complicated because we know that things that we thought were irreversible 50 years ago are reversible today. So there is not a very good or clear answer for when has irreversibility occurred since technology really could substitute a lot of our bodily functions. So it, there's really not a very clear sense of when that moment literally occurs. And I think that that's really one of the issues with the determination of death. We like to think of it as this discrete event. You know, we make a time of death, but in fact, it's a process. An individual doesn't probably die all at once. And determining where you are in the continuum of dying and becoming irreversibly dead is incredibly difficult to quantify. Why do I suddenly see you on 60 Minutes, sandwiched in between Andy Rooney and a Subaru commercial? Tonight, a brilliant young medical student who dared to experience death and come back. Fame is inevitable. That's the wrong reason. It's the right idea. So this is really getting complicated now. 
how do I know when I'm dead? Well, exactly as Professor Leslie says, it's kind of a process. And bits of you don't die at the same time. So it's trying to work out which bit you think is the most significant. And I mean, I would say pretty clearly the brain. So whole brain death feels like a reasonable point at which to say, okay, you're dead. But are they defining brain death as no activity? You know, how are you reading that? Well, that, that's the thing. With more and more technology, we're able to make more and more kind of discrete measurements. And, and there are lots of different tests. But, you know, it, there are still grey areas. Irreversibility is obviously one key thing. Like, is brain function ever going to recover? And that's quite hard to determine. And then you're looking at loss of integration. And what so, does that mean? Well, so that basically means if I'm just a, a body lying there, am I a collection of individual organs? Or is it working as an integrated whole? And you would think, or I would think, that if the brain stops working totally, then you're going to lose integration. But actually, there's examples where people can survive, and I use survive with heavy inverted commas, (laughs) totally brain dead. There was a guy who survived for 13 years, and his whole body was functioning in a perfectly biologically integrated way. Well, unsupported. No, no, with, with, with like ventilation uh, okay, and, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and, and heart pumps and so yeah. on. All of his other organs were still working together. So it's not just a collection of, of organs. So it's in a way you could say well, that's not really a corpse, couldn't you? I, mean, I suppose you could, yeah. I mean, you're just like keeping pumping everything. But what would you describe it as? It looks like a human. All of its organs are working together, apart from, crucially, its brain, to be yeah, fair. Yeah, It's not self-contained, is it? It's not able to function without all this technological intervention. So I, I don't know if you would call that a cyborg, but effectively, it's just meat that's being kept fresh, isn't it? Well, that's a nice way to look at it, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was going to say it's sort of like a biological artefact, but yes, it's like meat being kept fresh. <laughs> <laughs> you bring her back. But what all this stuff obviously leads to is big ethical conundrums. So there's this famous case of a girl called Jahi McMath or Jahi McMath. Months after several neurologists declared her brain dead, a Bay Area family wants that ruling reversed. In 2012, she had a tonsillectomy. There was some sort of problem, and she suffered whole brain death. Can the video clips do show movement, but are they what some neurologists say are spontaneous reflexes common in brain-dead patients, or is it truly a miracle? She was declared dead whilst her body was being kept, in again, inverted commas, alive by ventilator and so on. She moved her foot on command, says Jahai's mother, and as the days passed, there was more. Her parents contested this and said that she wasn't dead because she was still breathing and, uh, and she still had a pulse. Then I said, OK, well, move your thumb if you can hear me. And then she moved her thumb again, so I said, OK. So she knows the difference between left and right. She knows her fingers. If I say move your leg, she can, that's something that she can do. 
Interestingly, in America, there are certain states or, or wards of states that say you can object to the description of death by brain death on religious grounds. So they took her to, I think it's New Jersey. New Jersey is one of these states. And therefore could keep her on the ventilator and in their eyes, keep her alive. This is an ongoing court case. So you've had this girl, Jahi, has been on life support, although... Uh, Death support, really. It's kind of death support. It's kind of mad. Um, Because she is, ultimately, it's a corpse that you're making breathe and and pumping blood around. But that's still going on. It's obviously getting paid for by, I suppose, an an insurance company. I found this initially just so weird. Mm. And then I made the mistake of going on to their Facebook page, which is just called uh, Keep Jaya McMath on Life Support. And you go on that. And it is absolutely just heartbreaking. I mean, they're very religious people, the, right. the, the parents, and there's lots of you know reference to God loving Jahi and all this kind of stuff. But they, you know, they kind of celebrate her birthday and you know stick a tiara on her, and loads of people are, are kind of getting in touch and, and supporting her and saying yes, this is a great thing. And they are getting some experts coming in and saying, oh no, look, the, she might be responding to this. She might, you know. The point is, by any really kind of sensible definition, this girl is dead. Mm. I mean, it's almost ironic, isn't it, that evolution has kind of programmed us to constantly try to stay alive and, and see everything in us is about surviving, even if it's just genetically, so our children survive. And as a result of that, we just don't deal with death very well, do we? And we have all these kind of different reactions to it. And we have these cultural ideas, like, you know, our religious ideas come up and everything just fights against death, basically. But sometimes, you know, you just got to accept that this is part of life. Well, it's the end of it. Yeah, which is part of it. It's the last part of it, as it were. But the, the thing is that these nuances to how we define death are clearly giving rise to big problems and i don't know how closely you've been listening to what i've been saying michael but i think that there is another way and you know what i'm not the only one i think it's very difficult to maintain this biological definition of death at this point anymore because we have this biological paradigm that focuses on the loss of somatic integration and it's not working because we know that brain failure bodies can do a lot of integration so it seems to me we really need to move away from that as our justification for saying that brain dead bodies are dead into something else now i just want to clarify i do believe that patients determine dead on neurologic criteria patients who are brain dead i believe are dead i just don't believe they're dead for the reasons that we're being told that they're dead i don't believe that they've lost integration because they clearly don't seem to have. So there has to be another reason. And the reason we need to focus on what it is specifically about the brain that we find so important, and I would say that consciousness or personhood or whatever that individual thing that we think is so unique to human beings, we're not really talking about that. We're mired in this biological, somatic, vital signs as a definition or criteria of death, but in fact, technology can replace almost all of it now. It would seem to me that we really should move away from the biological definition and move toward an ontological, a philosophical one that considers irreversible loss of consciousness. 
I don't really feel like Professor Leslie's giving us any new answers. I mean, if you want to go All back... right, mate. <laughs> well, because I've already said it. <laughs> well, yeah, if you I want to go to consciousness... Yeah. Then, you know, you have this whole problem, which, you know, we've looked at in loads of other episodes where you don't know what consciousness really is and what level of consciousness are we going to talk about. And mm, But hang on. At Her- some point, we just have to trust a doctor or a team of doctors that says, okay, this person is no longer viable or whatever you want to say and they are dead and for me it's just like we just have to accept it yeah but as she was saying if you have whole brain death you are not going to be able to retain consciousness yeah yeah so we know that yeah so that's fine then so she's saying that the the indicator is whole brain death yeah and that means that consciousness will be absent and therefore that is a good condition for death yeah which is where we are isn't it yeah, so why why are you complaining? I don't know. We don't need to define consciousness. We just, just need to know that consciousness would be absent from a a brain that wasn't working. But we do kind of need to be sure that we understand what consciousness is, don't we? It would be helpful, but I don't think it's necessary, is it? Like, why would it be? If you know that consciousness can't emerge from what is effectively just a lump of non-living meat. Brooksy? Yeah. Proxy? I mean, the, 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 when the brain is dead... <laughs> Proxy's just undergone whole brain death. <laughs> I want to solve this. I know nobody's been able to solve this. I mean, I think we just have to say, okay, brain dead, no function. That's it. Why bring consciousness into it, really? Well, for the reasons that she was saying. Essentially, because it's too difficult to assign it according to the cessation of biological functions. But if we're just talking about whole brain death... Mm-hmm. We're saying whole brain death equals death. I don't have a problem with that. But it, why are we saying that? Well, because we know that that is the kind of overriding control of everything that's going on. The personhood and everything else is kind of... Ah, personhood. Is in there. Where's personhood coming from? Well, this is how we effectively, our brain manifests in our self-awareness or whatever. But actually, you know, what we're talking about... Is, is there just, another word for that? No, I'm not going not, not to be drawn. I don't think you need to bring in consciousness, okay? But you just did. No, I didn't. I said it, it's about brain death because it sort of gives the impression that there's some special thing. It's almost like saying soul or a spirit. Consciousness is this thing that we can't define, just like we can't define the soul and the spirit. If the brain is dead, and we can all agree the brain is dead, then that's it. Science-ish is a Radio Wolfgang production presented by me, Rick Edwards, and Dr. Michael Brooks. The producer was Max Sanderson with sound design by Ivor Slayer-Manley. Special thanks to Professor Leslie Wettstein and also to Professor David Crippen. If you like this show... Oh! <laughs> I'm going, I'm going in on it. Go on, Brooksy. Go on, mate. Because you like this show... Subscribe and rate us on iTunes, please. We want that number one spot back and we want it real bad. (laughs) Why are you so bad at that? (laughs) I love it. We want that number one spot back and we want it real bad. (laughs) Your computer makes thousands of connections every day. 
just like the one it's making now to deliver you your audio content. Why not unlock some little connections of your own? Pick up a box of Cadbury Heroes today, stay at home and share them with your family or friends. Sometimes it's the little things that bring us together. 